0: You are listening to the Running With God podcast. More than nominal Christianity. I'd like to welcome everyone to the Running with God podcast. I am your host, Coach Darby. I am so very excited to bring this episode to you, probably above any other episode that we've recorded up until this point because this episode represents the 1 year anniversary of the Running with God podcast. Uh, looking back in my notes, the very first episode that we released was on nominal Christianity. It was on February the 1st of 2021. And at the time of the releasing of this episode, it is February 1st, 2022. So very excited to have one full year of the Running With God podcast. I believe it's a total of 20 episodes altogether. I'm just so excited that the, that the podcast has made it this far. Um, to this point, we've reached a, a number of different states in the United States. We've reached other countries. Um, And have gathered a a ton of listeners Just too many to measure And I'm just so encouraged That people are taking the time To dive into God's Word to, To combat nominal Christianity And it's just so encouraging To be at this point So I just want to take this moment To thank our listeners One year strong Of the Running With God podcast If you haven't done it already I would just encourage you To follow this podcast On your mobile device Like and follow our Facebook. Facebook page, subscribe to this podcast on Apple or Spotify or Google or whatever platform that you're listening to this podcast. We have another year of episodes that we're excited to bring you. And God is just so big and so great and so majestic and so faithful. So I'm just so thankful. I pray that any word that's ever uttered on this podcast would bring glory and honor to his name. I pray that this podcast would be empty of any pride of any foolishness um, that comes from human lips, but instead would be God inspired and God breathed. And once again, just so thankful to be a year down the road, uh, getting this podcast off the ground. Uh, also want to thank uh mute math for some new entry music um, into this podcast. When you, have A year of a podcast, you got to shake some things up, change some things. So, very thankful to Mute Math for not only providing the beginning but also the end to all of our podcast episodes. Um, and we're going to get started with a new series to kick off this new year of episodes. Uh, this series is called Running to Finish Well. You know, there's an old saying when it comes to running, um, no matter what distance you're out there tackling, whether it be a 5K, a 10K, a half marathon, marathon, or even further you can't win the race in the first mile, but you can certainly lose it. And it's just a saying that I remind myself of anytime I get ready to take the starting line of a race. I know a little bit about what it means to finish um, strong. I've done so many distances at this point in my life. I've had plenty of races that I can remember crossing that finish line and feeling good and having a good little kick or a sprint at the end of the race, maybe even securing a new PR time that I was extremely excited about. Um, but I can definitely remember some finishes that weren't so good, some some races where I more or less crawled across the finish line, um, particularly when I think of the distance of the marathon. Um, If you've listened to this podcast enough, you know that I've talked at length about uh, the marathon. It's not my preferred distance, um, but it is something that I've done before. At this point, I've done two marathons. I was supposed to do a third marathon back in November, but that one got canceled due to weather. So my next marathon is scheduled for April, I believe, in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, which is ironic because that is exactly where my first marathon was. My first marathon that I ever did several years ago was a rock and roll Nashville marathon. It's a massive marathon. Um, tens of thousands of people gather to run that one, which um, is kind of ludicrous when you think about it, because Nashville is a very hilly town. Um, so lots of people that are more or less out of their minds to take on those hills. Um just being comical there for a minute, but One thing I think of when I think of a marathon, when it comes to my own personal experience, is I've never finished a marathon well. I never have. And, you know, I I remember my very first marathon. I started out, I was, you know, I trained for four months. Um, I probably did go out a little bit faster than I should. I felt good through about, you know, uh, 14, 15 miles, somewhere around mile 18, is when i vividly remember what in the marathon world we call hitting the wall i remember completely losing control of my pace i remember losing command of my body and my legs and just trudging along and watching my speed decline and being able to do absolutely nothing about it um and time just seemed to slow down the miles just which were coming at a at a great rate were just so far spread out and every second was pure agony and I felt my pace decline. I think at that point I was, I was doing pretty good. I was in the eight minute range and uh, the next mile I was nine minutes and the next mile I was in the 10 minute range. And by the time I finally found the finish line around mile 26, um, I'm pretty sure I was in the 15, 16 minute range. I never, I never walked. I think I exercised enough wheel over my body that I was determined that this is my first marathon and I'm not going to finish walking in any capacity. But that jog was such a slow trudge. By the time I was done, that finish line could not get there fast enough. Um, and just feel and just remember feeling just physically sick after that race. Uh, thankfully, I was with a good friend of mine who was a seasoned marathon runner, and he helped get me back to the hotel and drove home and um I honestly don't remember too much about getting back home. I'm pretty sure I may have passed out in the car a few times and I had no appetite and just felt the weakest I've ever felt before. And they do I mean this is true. They do say that no matter how awful you feel after a marathon, you often find yourself planning your next one. So there is something that draws you back about that kind of environment, but I think it's safe to say that when I look back on that experience, I did not finish that race well and what we're talking about on the podcast is not so much running we're talking about the most important race in life that you will ever participate in and that is the race of life Um, and there are lots of things in the bible um, through the words of jesus through the words of paul and through an experience in the old testament that we're going to talk about today just the importance of finishing well you've only got this one life And if you think of this life as a race, you don't get a do-over. It's so important to finish well because the Bible is full of stories about people, true stories about real people that started their races well, but were unable to finish them well. So what we're talking about on the podcast through this series are some practical ways to really look at your life as a race and do what the Bible calls finishing well. And if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn to 1 Corinthians. We're going to be looking at a very popular piece of scripture in the running world uh, that comes from Paul in his letter to Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. If you have your Bible, I would encourage you to turn there with me. And it says here, Do you not know that in a race all of the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize in other words this life that we're living is is metaphorically a race and you shouldn't just coast through this life like it's a race that doesn't matter you shouldn't coast through this life like it's a fun run and that you're going to get a participation medal at the end of the finish line in a competitive race like an olympic Caliber marathon, only one person is getting that gold medal. So, what Paul is saying here to the church at Corinth is run and train and perform in this race in such a way that you are that person, that you are the one that's going to walk away with the greatest prize there is to walk away with. Finish strong and finish well. And when we look at the Bible, I want to really, I could look at a lot of different people in the Bible and look at cases where people started well but failed to finish well. But I think the one that the Lord's laid on my heart this week comes um, from the Old Testament. It actually comes from Second Chronicles. Um, so once again, I'm going to flip back to Second Chronicles. I'm going to be uh, somewhere around chapter 13, 14, and 15. I'm going to paraphrase a lot of this because it's a lot to read, but I will highlight certain scriptures. We're going to be looking at King Asa, King Asa of the tribe of Judah. Um, King Asa was, in my opinion, one of those kings who really sought to seek the Lord. And man, did King Asa start well! He started so strong. If you want to follow along in 2 Chronicles, verse fourteen—not um, verse fourteen—I apologize. Second Chronicles, chapter fourteen, and we're looking beginning at verse two. It says here that Asa did what was good and what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God he removed the foreign altars from the high places and he smashed the sacred stones and he cut down the asherah poles and he commanded Judah to seek the Lord the god of their fathers and to obey his laws and his commands when you look at a lot of different reigns in the book of first chronicles and second chronicles you see a lot of kings many of which succeeded Um, King David and King Solomon whose popularity was on an epic scale and Asa was part of a lot of, of kingships that were just a roller coaster ride of loyalty or disloyalty to the God of Israel. Um, some of them just flat out did what was completely and totally evil in the sight of the Lord. Um, some of them attempted to do what was right. And Asa was one of those kings. Asa was an idol destroyer. I mean, one thing that, that marked his legacy was he went throughout his kingdom and destroyed the idols of the times. Uh, one of those being the Asherah poles. If you don't know what Asherah poles are, basically um, the goddess Asherah was linked to fertility and Asherah poles were more or less an excuse for the Israelites to come together in these, in these massive parties where there were all sorts of sexual immorality going on. And, and Asa went out and just completely demolished anything that was a symbol of an idol or an altar to a pagan god, and this became part of his legacy, uh, to the point to where there was one point in the story where Asa finds out that his own grandmother Um, has been um, erecting Asherah poles. And what does he do? He destroys her Asherah poles. He rebukes her, and he kicks her out of the royal family. I mean, could you imagine being so dedicated to the God of Israel that you find out that your grandma is up to some mischief and you boot her out of the palace. You literally kick her out of the royal family. That is how strong Asa started. And that's just on a uh, kind of a governmental level. That's just how he reigned over his kingdom um, but when we look at how he stood in the face of adversity at the beginning of his reign, we see something that was very encouraging. We see the story of when the Cushites um, tried to invade um, Asa. And this is what it says. I'm skipping over to verse 11, still in chapter 14 here. And this is the Cushites invading, and Asa's on the battlefield with his troops. And it says in verse 11, Asa called to the Lord, his God. And said, Lord, there's no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. So help us, O Lord, our God. For we rely on you, and in your name we have come against this vast army. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. And then it says in verse 12 that the Lord struck down the Cushites before Asa and all of Judah, And the Cushites fled. I mean, man, this guy is powerful. This guy's got so much faith in God. He's not afraid to do the hard things, sometimes the unpopular things, roaming through the country, tearing down the idols, saying, y'all, we're going to get right before the eyes of the God of Israel. And you know what? Even on the battlefield, we're going to go to him in prayer, and we're going to beg him to deliver us from our enemies. I mean, at this point in the story, you're probably saying, Coach Darby, how is King Asa not... In the Hall of Fame when it comes to faith, how did he not make it that far? What happened? Well, Asa is a prime example of someone who started his race really well. I mean, we're talking this guy came out of the blocks at the start line. He was doing five minutes per mile. I mean, he was booking it. But like so many, he just didn't finish well. He started out strong and valiant, but he just didn't finish well. Well, and you find this out when you look over and you, you get to chapter 16. And in my Bible, Second Chronicles chapter 16, it's titled Asa's Last Years. And this, picks, this begins at the 36th year of Asa's reign. And, and starting in verse 2, you kind of see the wheels start to fall off of this thing. It says in verse 2, Asa then took the silver and the gold out of the treasuries of the Lord's temple and out of his own palace. And he sent it to Ben-Hadid, king of Aram, who was running Damascus. Let there be a treaty between me and you, he said, as there was between my father and your father. See, I am sending you silver and gold. Now break your treaty with the king of Israel so that he will withdraw from me. And Ben-Hadid agreed with the king Asa and sent commanders of his forces against the towns of Israel and I'll stop there because you can kind of see what, what goes wrong in those verses. He stops relying on the Lord. For some reason, he decides to go into the Lord's treasury to take gold and silver which belong to the Lord and to give it over to a foreign king, the the king of the Arameans, and create a treaty with him for protection. To basically say, hey, you you watch my back, I'll watch your back. Here's some gold and silver as a good faith gesture. Um, I'm basically, essentially, buying protection from you. And this is just kind of despicable when you really look at it, because even though Asa has been so faithful to God, and God has been so faithful right back to King Asa, for some reason he starts to become prideful. He starts to think that he can fix his own problems. And he essentially buys a retirement plan with this foreign king and asks for protection against any enemies, including the king of Israel, that at that point in history had begun fortifying towns around Judah. And he steals. He steals from the Lord. He takes something that wasn't his to take, and he gives it to a foreign king. And then later on in the same chapter... When you get to um, the seer, in verse 7, it says, At the time Hanani, the seer, came to King Asa of Judah and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Aram and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. Were not the Cushites and the Libyans a mighty army with great numbers of chariots and horsemen, Yet when you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You have done a foolish thing, and from now on you will be at war. And and the big mystery to me in this story is, how did Asa fall so quickly out of faith that God would provide and God would take care of him? Why did he suddenly decide to put his faith in man and not keep his faith in the Lord. 35 years he had prospered under the guidance of the God of Israel, of the Lord. He, when he prayed for victory, that's exactly what he received. He followed the Lord's commands about ridding pagan worship out of his land. and But for some reason in year 36, he began to rely more on what he could do. He became prideful, and he literally stole from the Lord to try to buy protection from a whole other culture of people. And what what makes it worse is when he was actually called out on this sin, he grew bitter, and he still didn't go back to the Lord. It says he was angry with the seer in verse 10. He was so enraged that he put the seer, he put Hanani in prison because of what he said to him. And if you continue on in this story in chapter 16 all the way down to verse 12, It says in the thirty-ninth year of his reign, Asa was afflicted with a disease in his feet. And though his disease was severe, even in his illness, he still did not seek help from the Lord, but only from his physicians. And sure enough, in the 41st year of his reign, Asa died and rested with his fathers. They buried him in the tomb that he had cut out for himself in the city of David. Kind of a sad ending to a story, a story that started out so strong and so encouraging, but just ended so miserably. He just grew bitter. Asa just reached this point where he became bitter with God. And I don't really understand why, because God had done nothing but help him and protect him and bless him. But when he started looking inward at what he could do and what he could accomplish, and he obviously didn't like being called out on his sin when Hanani, the seer, came to visit him and tell him that what he had done was wrong. He just grew even more bitter to the point to where he was knocking on death's doorstep with this affliction in his feet and he refused to to just beg the Lord for help. And instead he put his faith in the in the physicians and the doctors of his time and they were not able to help him. And it's a prime case of what it looks like to start so incredibly strong, but to not finish the race well. I would love to say that Asa would have finished the race well, but it's obvious from the scripture in Second Chronicles that Asa didn't finish his race well at all. In fact, he's one of those that probably was crawling towards the finish line. But I don't want to end with that illustration. I don't want to lose hope in this podcast because there are also plenty of examples in this great book, in the Holy Bible, of people who did, in fact, finish their race extremely well. So let's talk about one of those people. Let's talk about Paul. Once again, if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, um, I would challenge you to flip more toward the back of the Bible now. We're going to be looking at 2 Timothy, and we're going to focus our attention on chapter 4. We're looking at the words of Paul to Timothy. These are words of encouragement to Timothy, who is soon to be a pastor uh, following the writing of this um, letter to, to Timothy and what paul is going to say in 2nd timothy chapter 4 is just it's not only encouraging but it really points to how strong paul finished his race i mean when we think about the Apostle Paul. We actually think about someone who didn't start well. He didn't. Even, he did not start his race strong at all. Um, he started his race as a persecutor of Christians. We know from the New Testament that he uh, oversaw the stoning of Stephen. Um, that he was a. <clears throat> it seems to always be in the scene any time a, a early Christian is murdered or or is, uh, put on trial or is stoned or anything of that nature. And, and then of course Paul has this this great revelation on the road to Damascus when he when he encounters Jesus face-to-face and Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? And this is a big moment in Paul's life because we see from that point forward, Paul began to run his race well. But I think what's more encouraging in 2 Timothy chapter 4 is just how strong Paul finishes his race. So <clears throat> picking up in chapter 4, looking at um, verse 6, this is Paul speaking to Timothy, he says, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. And I just want to break this down for just a minute. If you look at what Paul's saying to second Timothy here, the first thing he says is, "I am being poured out as a drink offering." Now that's that's important to to go back in the Old Testament and realize what that is a drink offering was a type of sacrificial offering in the Jewish system where they would literally take a goblet of wine or a glass of wine and they would pour it out down to the last drop on the altar it was one of the ritualistic things that that you would do Um, for Adonai, for El Shaddai, for the, the Jewish God Almighty. This was part of the sacrificial system. And what Paul is saying, he's not saying he participated in pouring out a drink offering. He says, if you look at my life, my life is a drink offering. I'm getting old in age. I've been shipwrecked. I've been imprisoned. I've been beat down. And I'm still going. I'm still going, even in the face of adversity. When most people would be retired sitting at the country club right now, look at me. I'm Paul, and my life is being poured out like a drink offering to the Lord down to the very last drop. So that's the first thing I want you to take note of. The second thing is, um, he says, The time has come for my departure. Now, he's not, now I know Paul's one of those biblical characters that's always on the move, he's always going somewhere. But in this case, he's not talking about leaving to go somewhere else. He's talking about being very close to death, being very close to the end of his life. And this is how he is spending time to the end of his life. As a drink offering, he's being poured out to the very, very last drop. And then he goes on to say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. that's a very interesting statement that he ends with. I have kept the faith. I think what Paul means there is something that we see in the world today. If you're able to finish your race with your faith in God completely intact, you have done something that many fail to do. You could look at story after story. You can look in your own churches and find people who started their races really strong. They were on fire for the Lord, and something happened. Something happened in their life. It may have been a, a divorce or a, the loss of a loved one or the loss of a job, some turning point in their life that caused their faith to dwindle. And and that spark that was there just seemed to go away. They didn't finish well. And it could be tied back to their faith being hurt, for their faith being um, derailed. Um, so what Paul's saying here is very important because he's saying, Hey Timothy, despite all the things that have happened to me, once again, not going back to that, I've been shipwrecked, man. I have been tortured. I've been on house arrest. Rome is after me. I've had afflictions, but I have kept the faith. That's an important statement that many in our church today really need to hear and dwell on. Is your faith intact right now? When you make it to that finish line, is your faith going to be as strong as it's ever been? Or has it been derailed already by some life event, by some trial that you just didn't quite make it through? I just want to share an illustration with you. It comes from one of my favorite pastors, Pastor Matt Carter. He's down at Sagemont um, in Houston, Texas. Uh, he founded and planted the Austin Stone in Austin, Texas, and he used an illustration recently that just stuck out to me. I don't even think it's his illustration, but I want to share it with you, and it's a, it really ties back to what Paul's telling Timothy here. So Pastor Carter's given this illustration, and he's talking about these two ladies. Um, one is Ruby, and the other is Laura. Now, Ruby is in her late 70s. She's been single her entire life, and Laura is a widow. She also is in her late 70s, and she is a medical doctor. And these two are missionaries in Cameroon, Africa. Um, They're second life missionaries. They've had careers, obviously, in the United States in their past. And in retirement, they became missionaries. And Laura took her medical expertise with her good friend, Ruby, to Cameroon, Africa, where they have been ministering to the unreached population, the impoverished, the uneducated, And obviously, Laura um, attends to the medical needs of the village that they're living in. Well, one day while driving in Cameroon, Africa, um, they're both in a car together and they're going around this turn that's near a cliff. And unfortunately, the brakes in the car go out and they careen off the cliff and they, they die in this tragic, fiery, violent death. And at this point. Pastor Carter looks at his congregation, and he says, While that story sounds sad, that is not a tragedy. That is not a tragedy. You have two women here that have dedicated their lives to serving the unreached populations in Cameroon, Africa. They could have spent their old age and wealth sitting on a beach, enjoying the sun, Enjoying retirement, but instead they're out there serving God to the very last moment of their life. That is not a tragedy. And then after that example, Pastor Carter whips out a Reader's Digest. And he flips open to an article about Bob and Penny. And he starts reading about Bob and Penny and what their life is like. Bob and Penny... It says in his readers digest are in their late 70s and they are retired and they live in Punta Gorda, Florida where they enjoy time playing recreational softball. They spend ample amounts of time on their boat and they enjoy collecting seashells. Pastor Carter closes the readers digest. He looks at his congregation and he says, that is a tragedy that is a tragedy and you may ask why why is that a tragedy that that that's what everybody's doing in retirement why is that a tragedy that's that's what I hope to do in retirement well here's why it's a tragedy it's because when you stand at the end of your one and only god-given life And you stand before the creator of the universe. And you give an account for everything that he's given you that you've been in control of. Things that you are stewards of. One of those things being how you spent those last precious moments of your life. Those last several years. When you have to give an account for that, you're going to stand before the almighty creator of the universe. And you're going to say, here it is, God. Here's my seashells. I collected a whole lot of them, God. Aren't you proud of me? And that, my friends, would be a great, great tragedy. And I remember when I heard Pastor Carter preach that message, and I heard that illustration, and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, well, there goes my retirement. <laughs> and, and the question, y'all, is not about retirement. It's not about whether or not you should retire. I'm not saying that at all. The question is, what are you going to do in retirement? That's some place that we all want to be one day. That's some place that some of the listeners of this podcast may be right now. So the question is, what are you doing with all that time? Maybe even with all that money, with all those resources, what are you doing for the kingdom of God? Make sure it's something that's not tragic. You know, what would be tragic is to stand before the creator of the universe and in judgment, when asked, how did you spend those precious moments of your life, Jeremy? I look up at God and I say, here it is, God. Here's my golf score. I shot under par three times, God. I mean, it could be equally said, here, here's my 10, here's my 10-point book. Here's my 12-point book that I shot, God. Here's my Blu-ray collection of all these movies that I've collected, Father God. Here's all my ticket stubs from all these baseball and football games I went to, God. Here's my 401k. Here's the business that I own, God. Aren't you proud of me? Here's my Facebook. Here's my Instagram. Here's my Twitter account, God. Look at how many followers I've uh, accumulated over the years. Aren't you proud of me, God? all of those things would be a tragedy. And I do not believe they would be finishing your race well. It's easy to look around and see everybody trying and attempting to chase and enjoy the comforts of this world. But that is nominal. That is exactly what we're talking against today. Don't be nominal. Don't be tragic in the eyes of God. Finish your race strong, just like Paul, being poured out to the very last drop, keeping the faith. So I'm going to leave you with this question. What does the trajectory of your life look like right now? Right now, you're in a race. Fortunately for you, and Lord willing, your race hasn't ended yet. You haven't approach the finish line yet. But let's take a pace check right now. How well are you running this race? Are you running strong right now? Do you have plans to pick up the pace in the future? And if you're one of those that's already in retirement or approaching retirement or dreams about retirement, what are you going to do in retirement to glorify God Almighty? How Are we, like the Apostle Paul, going to be poured out as a drink offering to the very last drop, fighting the good fight, finishing the race well, and keeping the faith? That's what I want to challenge you with through this series. I hope you'll join me next time as we continue to dive in to this series that we're doing on Running to Finish Well. And I would love to pray over you right now, all of the listeners of this podcast, one year strong to God be the glory. Father God, we come to you today and thank you for the opportunity to study your word. We thank you for the challenge that you've given us to run in such a way that we finish this race well and we run in such a way to earn an eternal prize. Father God, I pray for everybody who's listening to this podcast because right now I have the faith that they wouldn't be listening to this if they didn't desire Your will, if they didn't desire guidance from You, if they didn't desire to hear Your Word, Father God, I pray that You'll reveal Your will to them. I pray that You will give them peace in all that they do and that You will help strengthen them so that they can pick up the pace of this race that we call life so that we might be great disciples of You, so that we not, may not be casual, comfortable nominal Christians that are just coasting our way to the finish line. But Father God, help us to strengthen our pace and run through that finish line with everything we've got to the very last drop. I ask all these things in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless each and every one of you, and thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the Running With God podcast. More than nominal Christianity. Send us an email at runningwithgodpodcast at gmail.com.